but when we truly don't believe, we will not speak of you. And oftentimes we won't speak of you because we have not read of you, nor do we have understanding of you. Help us, Lord, not to try to create you in the image that we want you to be. But help us, O God, to glean from your word who you are and to worship you for who you are. To know you and to know you from your word and the things that we experience in our life because of you. Lord, would you minister to us this morning and give us understanding and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you like what we call, a, is it a fair weathered friend? How many of you like somebody that loves you for a moment and then don't love you? How many of you want to be with somebody consistently who is sometime on, sometime off? God is looking for his people who are willing to be consistent in their walk with him. With their walk with him. That you're consistent, you're faithful in acknowledging him as Lord of your life and living for him. Paul puts it in this frame, I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For as he says, he's experienced it, the power of it, and knows that it is the power that is able to save. We have to make up our mind if we really believe or not. Because James says, a double-minded man will receive nothing from the Lord. And if you're double-minded, you really will not receive from the Lord. And if you don't receive from the Lord, you really cannot live for the Lord. You really cannot live for him. Man can't give you what God has to give you to grow your faith. Man, I don't care what titles he has, what positions he holds. He can't not give you what God is able to give you in order to sustain you and keep you faithful to him. It's impossible for man. And we need to be able to really understand that and grasp it. That only he's able to do this. No one else. So what we're going to be looking at today is simply this. I'm going to the Father. I'm going to the Father. And what we're going to be trying to discover is this. Why am I going to the Father? Why would Jesus say, I'm going to the Father? Why not just go? But he says it throughout the gospel. 
to his disciples, I'm going to my father. And why is that so important that he would say it? So in John chapter 16 and verse 10, he reiterated to his disciples, in regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. I'm going someplace. And I imagine at that moment, the disciples became a little bewildered. They had been with him in feeding the 5,000, the 4,000, calling Lazarus from the grave, raising the young man in the funeral procession from off his deathbed. What they've seen him do in healing the blind, the crippled. And now he's talking about going to the Father, leaving them. So thankful for the verse where the Lord says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But how do you know? How do you really know what you believe is true? How do you know? And you have to answer this for yourself. That what you believe is true. How do you know that? See, there's a lot of Christians who are saying they're Christians and they believe, but in reality they believe nothing because their life shows the evidence that they're not believing. When you truly believe, you will find that you are following what your mouth says you believe. Remember, the scripture says the heart is deceitful. And who can know it but who? And what he is saying, your own heart can deceive who? You. He says, you say these things with your mouth. That you love me, you love me, you love me, you love me. But your heart is far from me. Your heart is far from me. How many of you go through a day without giving Jesus a thought? That ought to say something to you. From the time you wake up to the time you go to bed, how often do you call on Jesus for help or for guidance or for insight or for wisdom or for knowledge? See, if you're not calling on him, the only reason you're not calling on him is because you really don't know him. And he says, I'm an ever-present helper. In other words, I'll help you in everything and everything you're doing. I'll help you if you ask. He won't barge in. But if you ask him, he'll do it. He'll help you. He'll help you if you ask him. Now, I want to give you three things here that you need to do. 2 Timothy 1.12. 2 Timothy 1, 
in verse 12. And um, give me just a moment. Lord's been helping. And what we need to be able to recognize, do I really know him? If you really know him, it changes you if you really know him. So 2 Timothy 1.12, listen to what Paul says, because I think it's pertinent for us today. And <coughs> 2 Timothy 1.12, he says, that is why I'm suffering. Well, sometimes the things that you go through in life, you need to be able to accredit and say, it's because I'm a Christian. It's because I love the Lord. It's because certain people don't care for me or people talk about me or people do this. It's because I really love the Lord. And that's okay. And, and Paul said, whatever these sufferings were, he doesn't list them, but he says, I suffer because of what I believe. If you truly believe and you live out what you believe, you're going to suffer some. And that's okay, even from family members. You're going to suffer some. And Paul says, that is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed, because I know whom I have believed. Do you know who you believe in? Or are you just hoping that he's there? Have you did something just to as a safety net. I accepted Jesus, but he's more of a safety net. That if there is a heaven, I'm going to go. But I really don't live for him. And Paul says, I know whom I have believed and am convinced. Are you convinced? Are you fully persuaded? He is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. I would like to think that Paul entrusted himself into the hands of God against such a day that is called death. Who or what are you really believing in? Second, go over to 2 Corinthians 13 because he's asking you to do something. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Nobody else can do this. Wouldn't it be great if you could send somebody else to take your college exam? Wouldn't it be great if you could send somebody else to take your driver's test? Wouldn't it be just wonderful when the doctor said you have to have surgery that you could send somebody else? There are some things in life we can only do ourselves. 
This is not the pastor's job. This is not the Sunday school teacher's job. This is not somebody older's job or elder's job. No, you have to do it. And he says, examine yourself. When's the last time you really examined yourself? And asked yourself, really, what do I believe? What do I trust in? When's the last time you really looked at yourself and examined yourself and asked yourself, what do you believe? Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Whether you're walking with the Lord or not walking with the Lord. Are you really looking at yourself? Don't look at other people. Don't measure yourself by other people. God says, look at yourself. Examine yourself. I remember one day going to the doctor with my wife, and uh, Elaine got this from her mother and, and so forth, and she would go in to the doctor, and she'd tell the doctor, this is what's going on, and this is what I need. And uh, one time we went, the doctor simply asked this question, are you going to be the doctor, or am I going to be the doctor? <laughs> you know. And at some point, you got to examine yourself and really look at yourself. Allow the Holy Spirit to do what? Be the real doctor in your life. And be willing to hear him. He says, for you to test yourself, do you not realize that Christ Jesus lives in you? How can Christ live in you and you don't know it? How is it that you're married and don't know you're married? Go over to Galatians 6, 4. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 4. He says, each one should test his own actions, not somebody else. Every one of us should test our own behavior and ask the question, does my behavior line up with scripture? Does my behavior, does it exemplify Jesus Christ? Am I following after Christ? Am I showing forth the image of Christ? I need to test myself, ask myself about me. Then over the 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 14 and 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 14 through 16. Listen here to what Paul says. And he's talking about Jesus. And he says, well, let me get down there to it here. For Christ's love compels us. Is there something in you that compels you to do the things that you do for the Lord? Is there something that's in you that pushes you, that drives you? Or do you have the leisure of just doing what you want to do when you want to do it? Some of us go to work with that attitude. They don't want a supervisor coming up telling them to do anything. They want to take coffee break for the next two hours. 
they want to go and do what they want to do. They don't want to do what the supervisor may ask them to do or what their job is requiring them to do. They want to do what they want to do. And that's in Christianity a lot. My boss is the Holy Spirit. And we need to listen to him. We need to get our instructions from the word of God and follow those instructions and live them out. But we are very relaxed with that. I don't have to do this. I I don't want to do this. That's not what I need to do. And, And we do just the opposite many times of what scripture demands of us to do. And if that's the case, I would say to you, really examine yourself. Really take a good look at yourself. And he says, again, chapter 5, verse 10, 14, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for who? Themselves. Who are you living for? Who do you move for? What makes you go? What, what compels you to go? What, what compels you to function even when you don't feel like functioning? Mothers, was there a time when you brought that baby home and that baby started crying, but you didn't feel like getting up? You didn't feel like moving. You didn't feel like making a bottle. You didn't feel like changing the diaper. You didn't feel like it. But what compelled you to do it? Just the love for the child. Just the love for the child. There's something in us, if it's not compelling us to serve Christ and love Christ, something's wrong. Something's wrong. And Paul says, I die to myself. I die to myself, no longer living for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Now catch verse 16, because this is the crux of this. So from now on, we regarded no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. What is Paul saying? Oh yeah, we knew his father. We knew Mary. We knew he was born of them. We knew his brothers and sisters. We knew this about him. We knew he was living over here. We knew that. You only knew earthly things about the individual. And all that you know about Christ is just your imagination and earthly things of what other people have said. And you have not dug into the scriptures yourself to know him. You don't know him. You know about him. You don't know him. Confusion. When you don't know something, there's confusion in your life. When you're not certain, there's confusion in your life. 
there's failure to distinguish between things. There's a failure to distinguish between right and wrong. There's a failure to really recognize the real from the false. You can't really distinguish because you're using too many minds. The scripture says, have this mind in you. The mind of Christ in Philippians. Uh, the last seminar. Uh, I learned from movies and, and I like to watch the psychology of movies and, and, and what is said sometimes in movies. Because, boy, some great things come across. And when the American was out there with the Chinese guys trying to learn how to fight like they fight and, 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 and learn his karate or whatever it was. The young man he was staying with stopped him and he simply said to him, too many minds. Too many minds. Some of us as Christians, we got too many minds rather than just the mind of Christ. We got the mind of the world. We got the mind of what we were taught in school. We got mind from street education. We got minds from mom and dad and what we learned at home. And you're trying to work with all these minds and somewhere you got to focus on the mind of Christ. Have this mind in you. And what was the mind of Christ? I come to do the will of my Father. And what I hear of my Father, I speak. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge God, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us. But yet, we're leaning all kind of ways. We're leaning on this and we're leaning on that and we're leaning on this thing over here and this thing over here and we're trusting in this thing. No, one thing, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Because confusion will rob you of being consistent in serving the Lord. Confusion will rob you from being consistent in serving, of the, in serving the Lord. Now, go with me to John chapter 9, 28 and 29. John chapter 9, 28 and 29. It says, Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are, the, you are this fellow's disciples. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. Talking about the blind man. And all he knows is that Jesus, what? Gave him sight. He don't know anything else about the man. He don't know where he was born. He don't know where he come from. He don't know where he lived. He didn't know mom or dad. All he knew 
that Jesus gave him sight. And those who are questioning says, we don't even know where he comes from. They're uncertain. Have you made it up in your mind that Jesus is sent here to earth to put on a human form to be our Savior? And that you really know he comes from above and he's not natural. Do you really, really know that? Or do you just recite a story? And they said, we don't know. We don't know. There are some things that you won't know about Jesus. But know what he's done in your life. Know him through a relationship with him. Know him. The man didn't know where he came from. The man didn't know his position, that he was a son of God. The man didn't know any of these things. The only thing the man knew was this. He healed my eyes. What is it that holds you fast to Jesus because you know it? And you won't be swayed. You won't be swayed. You won't be moved. Because you know he did it. Over to John 7, 25 through 29. John 7, 25. At this point, some of the people of Jerusalem begin to ask, isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly, and they are not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Christ? But we know where this man is from. When the Christ comes, no one will know where he is from. Now, they're answering their questions, and they're putting their rationale with it, and it also shows their ignorance. And the statement is, but we know where this man is from. So they know Mary, they know Joseph, they know Nazareth, they know Galilee, they know where he's from. But then look how they also correct their answer or make their answer a reality to them. When the Christ comes, no one will know where he is from. What's the problem with that? When Christ comes, nobody will know where he's from. Well, in the Old Testament, it tells us that the Messiah will be born of what? Of a virgin. If he's going to be born of a virgin, somebody knows where that virgin lives. Somebody knows that virgin's in Boston, in Texas, California, Ohio. Somebody knows something about where this person is going to be born because this virgin now is what? Pregnant. And they're saying the Christ 
nobody will know. Nobody will know. Nobody will know. And that justifies their answer. Here's the kicker here now. What do you say to yourself that justifies your answer that goes against Scripture? What is it that you say to yourself that justifies what you're saying and want to believe that goes against Scripture? And see, we do it. We say things to ourselves that justifies our action. And our action is not following after Christ. Our action is not biblical. Our action is not of the Holy Spirit. And yet we give an answer to our action to justify why we're doing what we're doing. And it shows our ignorance of Scripture, number one. Number two, it shows our rebellion against it if we know it. If we know it. And it causes confusion up here and confusion in here. And they say, oh boy, we know where he's from. And really they don't. They don't really know where he is from. Go ahead into verse 28 with me. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out. Now, I don't know where they were, but I do know this. They were not in the front row. They were a little distance from him. But the scripture tells us that Jesus knows the heart of every man, every person. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. You know the earthly part of me. You know what you've heard about me. You've heard. You have some knowledge. The problem is you don't believe in me. Now, let's go a little further here in what Scripture says, what they don't know. Yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own. They didn't know that. Jesus said, I'm not here on my own. You know so much. Follow me for a moment. Wouldn't it have been nice if your mom and dad could have went in the laboratory and put a little bit of this here and took a little bit of this and put it here and then went and got a little bit of this over here and put it here and went and got a little bit of something up and put it here and put a little match to it and boom, and there you are. We still can't really explain how a woman gives forth life. We know the chemistry of it. 
from a man too. But that's all we know. Besides what Psalms 139 says, that I formed you while you were yet in your mother's womb. God is speaking that I put you there. I formed you. I gave you your hair, your complexion. I am the one who did this. I gave you life. You were not developed in a laboratory. You were developed in the mind and the heart and the love of God. And we need to understand that. And they say, Jesus is just telling them, yeah, you know me. You know me from the earthly part. But what you don't know, I was sent here with a purpose. I was sent here with a purpose. Do you not know him? But I know him. And he's talking about the Father. Let me get back up to 27. But we know where this man comes from. When the Christ comes, no one will know. 28, then Jesus, still teaching, heard them. Yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him. So he begins to speak about something they don't know about. But I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. There are things that only the Holy Spirit can speak to you on. I can't do it. Sunday school teachers can't do it. Elders can't do it. But there is that Holy Spirit who is the teacher. If you train your ears to hear him, he'll teach you. Why? God is not a God of confusion. God does not want you to be confused at all. Now, go over to John 8, 48. John 8, 48. And this one, biblically, boy, you have to really say, boy, it's a challenging one. And yet a lot of people try to pick it up. So Elaine and I, we, well, I was watching a program uh, the truth about Christ. And one of the things that they were saying was simply this. Christ may have been married to Mary Magdalene. Now, if you follow that British story and so forth, there's a great, 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 great grandchild of Jesus over there in England. And some people still believe that and hold to that today. And the question with man sometimes is this. When scripture says he knew no sin, then we go to a rational thinking process. Okay, he was human. And scripture says all have sinned. Would that include him too? Or does that exclude him? All have sinned. And because he had a human body, he may have sinned. Let me share something with you. If he sinned in any kind of a way, just once, 
then he himself stands in need of a savior. So the challenge comes here. Can you find any place in life where I've sinned? So the challenge that he gives them in that verse 46 of John chapter 8, can any of you prove me guilty of sin? Anybody? Can you prove me guilty of sin? Because if you can prove me guilty of sin, I am not the Savior. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Christ. I'm not the one sent from God. If you can really prove just one sin. Now that's some challenge. How many of you would put that challenge before man? And yet he says, just prove me wrong in one area. Show me my sin if I've sinned. Go to Luke 24. Because this is where a lot of us are struggling sometimes. Luke 24, 36 and 37. He says, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. What are they talking about? Did he come forth from the grave? Has he risen? Is he alive? Is this real? They were startled and frightened thinking they have saw a ghost. So Jesus appears to them, and they're startled, and they're frightened. And they're troubled, because they don't know if they should even trust their eyes now. They don't know if they should even trust what they're hearing. Listen to what he says to them. Why are you troubled? When you're troubled, you're trying to do what? Figure something out. You're giving thought to it. You're thinking about it. It's disturbing you. Yes, this is not natural. This is not something ordinary man can do. It's appear in your presence with locked doors and says, peace. And yet he does it. And they're frightened over what they see and what they're hearing. Unbecoming to you is this. A lot of things you hear from the Bible, you're frightened about. And you're questioning, can I trust it? Can I believe it? Can I stand on it? And when you're not willing to trust the word of God, when you're not willing to believe the scripture, then you're seeking your own way. You're doing your own thing. And you're going to be troubled and confused in your own mind and heart. And he says, why are you troubled? And why do doubts, doubts rise in your mind? 
Why do you doubt scripture? Why do you doubt the word of God? Why do you doubt the existence of Christ? Why do you doubt that he may be the only savior of the world? Why do we doubt? And that's man. We struggle, don't we? We doubt at times, don't we? And we can't sometimes understand everything. And that troubles us. Why are you troubled? And why do you doubt? Why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones. And he challenges them to really use what God has given them, the sight. Do you really see me? I'm not an imagination of your mind. Touch me. Feel me. Now, here we go into a scary area. And don't go out here saying Pastor Brown's a mystic. When's the last time you felt God embrace you? When's the last time you felt God embrace you? God, in his own way, because of who he is, He's my heavenly father. I'm his child. He will embrace his children. And you will know that he is loving you without a doubt. You will know his presence in a room with you. Even though you don't see him, you will know his presence because you want that embrace. You want it. You want it. And you'll know that he's there. You'll feel, in a sense, his presence. When's the last time you just wept over your thought of God? When's the last time you just said, quiet and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you and he just breaks you down in a sense. See, God didn't give us these senses just to know the things of the world but to also know him. To know him. To know his presence to hear his voice, to see his hand move in my life. He wants me to recognize him. And he says to them, you're not looking at a ghost. We don't believe in a ghost. We believe in a real God, in a real person. Now, in Luke 5, 21, look what is stated. Here comes a little bit more confusion. And that's what we've been looking at. 
people who are confused and, and they're questioning. And many of us question sometimes the existence of God. Oh, why does God do this? Or, or God do that? Have you settled it in your mind that God does all things right? Even when I don't agree with it, he's right. He doesn't do wrong. How many of you come to a conclusion? God speaks the truth to me all the time because he won't lie to me. He'll speak truth to me all the time. How many believe that God is always holy even in his judgment? He's holy. There's no revenge in his punishment. He's not a revengeful God. 521. Look what he says. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves. What are they doing? Man reasoning. Thinking to who? Himself. We do that. We think what? To ourselves. A lot of you are thinking even now. You think to yourself. And he says, they are thinking to themselves. Who is this fellow? Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sin but God alone? And that's what they're stuck on. He can't forgive sin. That's the child of Joseph and Mary. He can't forgive sin. We know his brothers and sisters. He can't forgive sin. We watched him grow up. We played with him. He went to school with us. He can't be. And we question. We question. And a lot of us, hear me here, here. As long as you question who Jesus is, you will not see his power in your life. Because you are of that double-mindedness who will not receive anything from God. But once you make up in your mind, he is my Savior, he is my Lord, he is the Son of God, he is the Christ, he is the Messiah, he is coming again. It does something up here and in here and what flows out of your life. Now, they're thinking, and they even go to a point of calling him Beelzebub in 11.14. And what they're doing, well, let, let's turn there real quick. Luke 11.14. He says, Jesus was driving out demons that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke. And the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. What were they doing? They wouldn't even believe what they heard and what they seen. But they do the same thing that we do. It's a good thing I had my rabbit foot. 
we describe it to something else other than Jesus. He helps you in your life. He rescued you from something. He opened a door for you. And you say, good thing I had my rabbit foot. Oh, I was lucky today. You weren't lucky. God has a plan for your life. He'll order your steps if you ask him. We describe what happens to us as I would say good fortune or good things happening, we then contribute that to something or somebody else other than Jesus Christ. We give it to somebody else. We say that somebody else, something else did this other than Jesus. Even we put ourselves on the throne and said, boy, good thing I was able to do that. No, you can't do anything without him. Nothing. I can't breathe without him. Neither can you. And we got to settle that in our hearts and minds. Who is Jesus to us? Who is Jesus to us? We got to settle that. We got to nail that. Because if we don't, Satan gets in there and weaves all kind of confusion in our life. Because that's not nailed down. Who is my Savior? Who is my God? Who is my rescuer? Who is the one who orders my steps? Who is the one that is good to me? Who is the one who will always give me sound counsel? Oh, congratulations, Mark. He graduated yesterday with his counseling degree. <laughs> and, and the question is, they describe what is happening in their life. That is what we call sometimes a blessing. They give it to somebody else. We need to settle every good as John did. Every good and perfect gift, James says, come from where? From above. John says man can receive nothing unless God gives it. We need to settle that. Now, why go to the Father? Why would Jesus say I'm going to the Father? It is the evidence and the truth that man needs to know. And that's why the scripture in John 16 says that the Holy Spirit will convict you of Jesus and of righteousness and of judgment. Without the Holy Spirit, you would not be convicted of these things. Now catch this. Without Jesus going to the Father, the Holy Spirit would not come. So one of the evidence that Jesus puts out there, that I'm not the Christ maybe, that if I die, I don't go to the Father. And if I don't go to the Father, I can't send the Holy Spirit. But because he died, and he already told us, 
that when he dies, he would send the Holy Spirit. And then we see that take place in Acts. And we see a radical change among the apostles and the believers that only the Holy Spirit could do in their life. That Jesus then has to be the Messiah. He has to be the Christ. Why? Because he has went to the Father. And because he went to the Father, he sent the Spirit. And even in Romans 8, he tells us, if you have not the Spirit of Christ, you're none of his. If you have not the Spirit of Christ, you're none of his. John 14, 26, real quick. John 14, 26. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. What is he going to do? Teach you all things. The evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life is that you're learning anew. You're learning anew. And you're being taught by him. Can I give you a little thing that we all need to do? When you're reading or you have a thought, write it down. Get you a book where you write things down that you don't have an answer to right now. But as you continue to read God's word, I promise you this, God will answer it. And you'll be able to go back to that book because the Holy Spirit will bring back your question that you have. And you'll be able to write your answer in. If you write it down and you keep reading Somewhere God is going to allow you to intersect in his word, your answer to your question. And you'll know only the Holy Spirit guided you to that. And you will know something else that is vital and important. It's time for you to know that. With your children, how many of you take a six-year-old and teach them to drive a car? They're not ready, are they? Sometimes a child will ask questions that they're not really ready to what? To perform or really understand. We're the same way. We'll ask questions that God knows we're really not ready for that yet. But as you're reading, as you're maturing in him, he answers it. And you'll know it because the Holy Spirit will bring your question back to you. You'll know you wrote it down and you can go write the answer in. And John 15, 26, he says, When the counselor comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify of me, not of himself. He's going to teach you about who? 
about Jesus. He's going to teach you about Jesus. The disciples didn't know that much about Jesus, even though they spent three years with him. They knew very, 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 very little about him. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to teach you much, much more. John 16, 7. Listen to what he says. But I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come. I'm going to the Father. Why? Until I go, the Holy Spirit, who's going to testify about me, the Holy Spirit who's going to convict your hearts about me and convict your heart about truth, that you can distinguish between right and wrong, that you can distinguish between the works of God and the works of evil, the works of Satan. You can distinguish between the teaching of man and the teaching of God, that you can distinguish because you have the Holy Spirit within you. Acts 1 5. Acts chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 5. He says, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. John in a sense, put you below the water. He merged you in with the water. That really nothing of yourself was standing out of the water that could be seen per se. You were in the water. The water covered you. Some verses, Romans 6 says, it's like the grave. But here I think it's showing us you are emerged. That is no longer you that is being seen. And that when you come up out that water, you have been emerged in the Holy Spirit. And what is going to be seen when you come out is Jesus Christ. Have you ever been out to Golden Corral where you take one of those marshmallows and you emerge it where? Into the chocolate. And when you bring it up out of the chocolate, you really no longer see what? You see the chocolate. <laughs> Marshmallow is still there. Even though we've been emerged in the spirit, that old nature, that old man is what? Is still there. And Paul says, I crucify my old self daily because it wants to take center stage rather than Jesus Christ. And he says, the Holy Spirit is going to come and emerge you into himself. Then when you go into Acts chapter 2, in verse 4, it says, On one occasion, while he was eating with, I'm sorry, in the old chapter 2, <coughs> 
all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. The filling was one thing. And some people off that text takes, well, if you're filled with the Spirit, you have to speak in tongues. That's not what he's saying. Every believer who is born of Jesus Christ, born of the Spirit, has the Spirit dwelling in them. The tongue was an evidence of them that they were being used by the Holy Spirit to speak to other men who were there in their language. And they did not go to school for that language. That other people could hear the gospel in their language that day. And it tells us that many of them came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and they believed. But it is also the very evidence that the Holy Spirit used them in something that they themselves were not equipped or had they prepared themselves to do. But he used them. And the Holy Spirit will use you to show an act of kindness to somebody else. The Holy Spirit will use you to embrace and love somebody else. The Holy Spirit will use you to speak to somebody else about the gospel. The Holy Spirit will use you. Don't describe what he does in your life and what Jesus does to something else. Lord, thank you for using me. Thank you for using me. Thank you for using me. Thank you for giving me this gift. Thank you for making it that I can reach in my pocket and give to somebody else. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that I can give a smile to somebody. Thank you, Lord, that I can say a kind word and encouraging words to somebody. Thank you, Lord, that I can pray a prayer of faith so somebody who is sick and, Lord, believe that you're going to raise them up, you're going to touch their bodies, you're going to heal them, Lord, Lord, it's not me, it's you using me. And it's the evidence of the Holy Spirit working in your life. Why? You have died to self and you're alive to Christ. Don't be confused about who he is. Because if you're confused, he's not going to use you. Because you won't know who to describe this power too, or the gift too, or what you do too. And remember this simple little verse, I will share my glory with no one. And he means that. It's him alone. It's him alone. It's him alone. Father, we thank you that the evidence of Jesus Christ is all that he said that he is is given through the Holy Spirit to us.
that we might know, Lord, that we will not be a people who are confused or troubled or double-minded, that we can really say, as Paul says, I know in whom I believe, and I've trusted him with my life. I've trusted him with all that I have. And we hear what Peter says, Lord, we followed you. We've given up all. And we hear what Jesus said, all who have forsaken children, mother, father, wife, home, will receive twice as much in this age and yet in the age to come. Your God, my God, is not a debtor to any of us. He is faithful to us. Allow your faith to take you to the next step. Allow your faith to be willing to step out and trust him. Allow your faith to believe that he is able to do what you cannot even understand. But he can. God, you are a mighty God. You are a wonderful God. You are beyond our imagination. You are more than what we could ever think of. You are God all by yourself. Thank you, Lord, for giving us a glimpse of you. Would you open your window of heaven a little bit wider for us that we can peep in and see a little bit more of your glory? 